0: Wonderful, wonderful. I love Palm Sunday, love the branches. I didn't see anyone needing medical care yet, so that's good. (laughs) We do have an emergency kit back there, so. Branches in the eye and that sort of thing. First Timothy chapter 1, we are looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Spirit of God to deliver uh, to his protege a delegate that he sends. Uh, First Timothy chapter 1. And he's addressing a church. Actually, uh, Timothy's been sent kind of like a commando or a Navy SEAL in the, in the faith to, uh, to address some issues. And Paul writes what appears to be an open letter uh, to to really reinforce in the eyes of the the whole area, because in Ephesus, Paul had spent three years uh, preaching, a time of intense revival. You, You read this in the book of Acts, where even napkins he uses, even tissues he uses, were quickly rushed off to a sick bed, and a person was healed. Uh, Remarkable time when the Spirit of God was doing amazing things. And even though it was an incredible thing, here it is, after three years of teaching, after all that has happened, after so many uh, churches being planted in Ephesus and from Ephesus, uh, now in in, in a matter of less than half a dozen years, less than five years, likely less than four years, already there is uh, sabotage. There is leaders who stand up make a deal, big deal about themselves, who put themselves forward, who aspire to be uh, teachers of the law. And, and so Paul writes to Timothy to correct that, to nip in the bud uh, some misdirection occurring and some false teaching. So, we're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're actually going to look at the what looks like, to many of our eyes, the second or maybe third full paragraph in verses 8 through 11 is where we are, but I wasn't to read the whole of the first chapter uh, that we might fit this paragraph in the flow of the scripture. Listen carefully. Um, did I say this is on page 991? I did not. I did now. There you go. This is that pause where you let someone get there. All right, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, The Word of God, listen carefully. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent... But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in, cor- or in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme." The word of the Lord. We're looking at First Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 to 11. The issue that is happening here in the early church, and the, 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 the you, I don't know if baby church is the right word when you think about sitting under the, the leadership and teaching of the apostle Paul himself for three years. I mean, they, they should have been well-grounded, right? Uh, they were, and yet the devil uh, doesn't like a church that's strong, that has a good foundation in Christ. And by one means or another, like a, a hydra, like a like multi-headed uh, serpent is trying to gobble down and nibble away at the, at the church of Christ uh, to undermine what's going on here. I want you to see in verses, I think, let's say verse 7. Uh, would you bring that up for me, uh, Mr. Computer Guy? There's the verse, verse 7 through 9. There are four different terms, four different terms that have the word law in it. Uh, so clearly, part of what's going on here is something related to the law. Uh, one of the first things, Paul doesn't give, give a lot of, like, what I'd call uh, flowery language at the beginning. He doesn't give a lot of teaching to Timothy. Timothy's been with him. He's been mentored. He knows the truth. But he immediately, the urgency of the situation of the church at the time, is such that he he launches right into warning Timothy, urging him uh, to, to, to have certain persons... Shut their mouths is what he's basically doing. And he says this in verse 7 about these situations. There are those who are desiring to be teachers of the law, law teachers. That's the first term with the word law in it. But they don't understand things, or are confident, but they shouldn't be. Verse 8, we know that the law is good. The law is good, he says, if one uses it lawfully. There you go, there's a second, the law. The third is the lawfully, the adverb, using the law lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless, the anti-law, the against the law, the anything else but the law of God, uh, crew. Now it's really quite interesting, so this is what's going on, there's something about the law, Uh, they're they're misusing it, and it seems to be in a different way than they did in Galatians. The whole book of of Galatians is written to those who were trying to put believers back under the law as as a requirement, as restricting another man's vineyard, another person's household uh, to to get back under uh, the the, the sort of ceremonial restrictions and way of being of, of the old covenant, which wasn't adequate back then and said Christ has come not to abolish but to fulfill the law. And it seems to me what, what Paul's talking about in part is the law. Now, I'll be honest with you. One of the things, you know, you pray as you, as you come into communion, you think about it. Hopefully you're communing you and Jesus because if you aren't, I could, we should talk about that. Okay, you and I one-on-one because he's a risen Lord and you can know him and hear him and be with him and commune with him. And as I'm talking to my Lord, one of the things I I, admit it is I'm not as keen on this paragraph as he is. I, I don't, I don't, I don't love the law like I should. Uh, in, in part, uh, I'm allergic to the law, because I see in myself that mirror that reveals and exposes my failure. And also, I read Psalm 119. I have begun this year to study it. I spend about a whole week on each verse of Psalm 119 with you. Put that math together, albeit it's a long time. Uh, that's a big, big chapter. It's gushing about the law. And partly, I, I recognize in myself, uh, I don't love God's word the way Jesus did. And that bothers me. And and partly, you know, one of our our songs said uh, that that, that fears, fears of man, fears that you have in your heart, they start to melt away in the presence of the living God. When you behold him, you see him, you love him, you adore him, you want to please him, and you start to worry less about pleasing your neighbor and scratching their ears or worried about them misunderstanding because you can't possibly teach one sermon on the law And cover everything, (laughs) right? It's impossible. I think about how he's talking about the law. We know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. uh, He's talking about this. And he's clearly using the law in a very specific manner. And I'll show you in a minute how it's clearly talking about the Ten Commandments uh, as the moral code, as the household rules laid down. Uh, that we might use that as kind of a baseline, like the, the ten fingers we have, uh, ten, ten rules and guidelines for our life. He very clearly, is, that's the structure of his little sermon that Paul gives him, uh, gives Timothy. Uh, but when we talk about rules and that sort of thing, I think one of the difficulties is I don't even want to talk about this. I mean, no parent loves talking about the rules with their child, do they really? We wish we didn't have to bring up rules. We wish we didn't have to make rules about, in our family, most rules relate to dessert. I'll just be transparent. If I have another meal, how many? How about an appropriate scaled amount for your body? Is that enough? Eat the sugar that fits the size of your frame. All right? so you're telling me 16 Oreos. No. (laughs) Like, I love them. I see in my children myself, right? We make rules, and and we want to know how far, how much, like how much is permissible? Do I have to really, like, like we, the stubbornness of our hearts, right? It's very deep. How far can I go? What is permitted? All those sort of things. Those are like the the laws, the rules are guardrails, and guardrails are good. They keep you from plummeting to your death off the edge of a hill, right? They are good. they keep you from out of going out of the ditch. But, but if your goal is to be hands-off and do wherever you can, permit yourself to just cruise down life's passage with, without, really, uh, without really guiding your own life, but allowing the rules be the limit of what you're going to do, I tell you that your car may get to its destination, but there will be no side mirrors. The sides of your car will be screeched and scratched, and it'll be an ugly car. You may get there, but it will be ugly, and it will be uncomfortable. Uh, instead of that, what, what, what this is talking about with the law that is fulfilled in Christ, he ends with the blessed God, the glory of the gospel. It's saying that instead of letting the guard rules, the law dictate and limit you, come to be glad to be on the road, the narrow road, take a hold of the steering wheel of your life, and follow where the GPS of the Holy Spirit, God himself through Christ, tells you to Go. Right? Because if you, if you move from being like, where, where can I go? What's permissible? How far to suddenly, like, I want to be in the narrow way. I want to be in the center of your will. I want to get there to the celestial city in one piece. The law of God can be used in various ways, and it is in a variety of ways. It is an expression of God's love for us and is designed for the human condition and also community, and uh, there's these ten rules, one for each finger, uh, and that's just the way it is. It's something so straightforward, you would think that it would be very easy to do, but clearly in the time of Paul in Ephesus that Timothy is, is meant to, uh, to address, they're doing it unlawfully, they're doing it wrong, they're doing it incorrectly in their households and in the churches. How could they so quickly go astray? What's going on? Looking at that, they are using it unlawfully. They're not using it lawfully. That word in there in verse 8 is, The law is good if one uses it lawfully. Lawfully there is talking about using it in the right way. Later on, I think it's in Second Timothy... Let me verify that. Yes, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. The same word is used, only used two times, by the way, in the New Testament. Lawfully, there in, in our verse. And also in, in 2 Timothy 2, 5, where Paul writes to him another letter. Timothy, an athlete, is not crowned unless he competes lawfully. Or as the ESV says, unless he competes according to the rules. According to the rules. They're using the law of God... Incorrectly, How are they using the law of God, these who aspire to be teachers of the law? That's what's kind of bizarre and so extraordinary. If you remember from last week and you look up now maybe in verse 4, what are they doing, these folks? They are teaching a different doctrine, verse 4. They're devoting themselves to myths, uh, to endless genealogies, and are promoting speculation rather than the stewardship or the footnote good order, the good order that comes from God through faith, right? So, these folks are like talking about, it seems to me actually, they're talking about anything but the law. They're talking about the rules. They're talking about myths and speculative things and endless genealogies, all kinds of weird stuff. They're talk, 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 and talkative. Talk, 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 talk talkative. They never seem to settle down and actually do what God desires. is on his heart. Somehow, uh, in the minutia of God's word, there is a way of taking God's word that says I'm a very serious student Interested in filling my head and puffing myself up and letting you know that I'm, I'm, you know, further along than you. But at the same time, not actually buckling down and doing what God says. Not actually surrendering to his will. Not actually living in a way that would please him. Martin Luther would say in his time some 500 years ago that the law is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. And, and there are those who are lawless. They, they don't want to go to Christ. They, they'd rather be well-regarded by other people, or whatever is on their heart, Uh, by one means or another, they're actually avoiding the law of God, the rule of God, the path of God. If you would turn to Luke chapter 24 to demonstrate that this is indeed uh, the good things we're talking about. Luke 24, it's on page 885. Luke 24, last few sentences toward the end of that marvelous gospel account that was written by the Spirit through the physician Luke Luke 24, verse 44, I will read this little paragraph, the second to last, right before he ascends, the Lord Jesus. So he's been risen from the dead. He's given some instructions a few times. He gave some critical things, information to his disciples, and now to us. In verse 44 of Luke 24, we read this. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses... You're witnesses of these things, he says. What did he say should be proclaimed? Repentance and forgiveness of sins. That those two things, repentance and forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repentance, forgiveness of sins. Well, what is a sin? A sin is missing the mark. We live in a culture that's trying to move. The end zone, move the target constantly, you know, make it easier, make it less demanding. Uh, I sat uh, in a lecture, uh, and the professor was rattling on about things, talk, 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 and it was an online thing, it was a Zoom thing, and one of the people, must have been in the front row, was snoring to beat the band, (laughs) and you could barely hear the professor because the kid was snoring. I think it was a kid. You couldn't see because he was just the, the professor in the picture. And, and then I, I was talking to the student who, who sits under this teaching, and, 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 and brothers and sisters, like the expectations that, that the schoolmasters have is, is diminishing and diminishing and diminishing. And, and the law of God in our time in the church diminishing, 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 uh, making it easier, making it comfortable. Uh, itching our hearts and ears. And, and you, you don't get that impression when you look at what Paul has to say here. Now look at his outline. Now I want to say to you, what this paragraph is actually what Paul does for Timothy. He says, Timothy, here's my sermon outline. Use this. If you're sitting there wondering as a manager of a house or a disciple maker or in our household of faith here, okay, then pastor, then how do we use the law Correctly, rightly, lawfully, and competing with the right rules in mind for ourselves and for those we love. Great question. So Paul, in a marvelous way, gives an, a sermon outline to Timothy. Now this actually is kind of missed if you read the whole chapter of 1. You'll, you'll kind of miss it. You'll glaze over it. If you study it carefully in the Greek, you won't miss it. Because, uh, especially if you're a teacher or preacher type, you'll see it. It'll immediately be obvious. Because verse 8 through verse 11 is this wonderful sermon that Paul gives. I know it's a sermon because Paul goes out of his way to use, the, use words with that start with the same letter. Now, how many of you have sat under Pastor Josh's teaching and you're so sick and tired of him fighting some obscure word that has the letter A at the beginning? <laughs> Only three of you. All right, at least you're honest. Thanks, Greg. Uh, okay. I mean, I, why do we do these things? Teachers do that so that you'll remember, <laughs> right? They, they, want, they want you to remember. 14 terms in this in this paragraph. All uh, eight of the 14 begin with the letter alpha in the Greek. Eight of the 14. And actually, if you look carefully, it seems not only does Paul go out of his way to find alpha words, starting words, he seems actually to make up at least six new words. Every. Every preacher, including myself worth his salt, loves making up new words. <laughs> I love making up new words. Uh, it, it's it's really never a new word. It's usually taking two words and fusing them together to get your attention. That's what Paul does here. He does that. It's clearly a sermon, and the alliteration device he uses, a teaching outline. Uh, it's it's wonderful to get his, his point across. And in case we should miss it, he then maps it onto... God's outline of the law given by Moses audibly before hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, if you do the numbers, maybe millions of people heard the law proclaimed at Mount Sinai. It's partly why I believe the Old Testament to be credible. You can't fake in the front of hundreds of thousands of people the voice of the living God audibly declaring in trumpets, smoke, shaking going on it was intense the kind of thing you don't forget What did God say? What were his key sentences that he spoke in the hearing of Moses and Joshua and Caleb and all those ancient Israelites? He was laying out, he was was saving his people from another person's house. He was rescuing them from Pharaoh's house in order to establish their own house, Israel, based on his word and his will. And he designs his house with ten fingers and ten rules, ten commandments. And this paragraph actually uh, overlaps, or, or lines up with these Ten Commandments. If you would bring that that outline uh, up, Mr. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I uh, Appreciate that. This is, Elijah, thank you for doing that. This is, this is our text on the right-hand side, 1 Timothy 1, to 9-11. And then on the left is our, our Ten Commandment passage in Deuteronomy 5 or Exodus 20. And I just want to point your attention to this very briefly. You might want to take out your camera if you have one with you. A smartphone. <laughs> Take a picture uh, if you care about this or not. And uh, here's where it is. Every one of these things lines up with one of the Ten Commandments apart from uh, Paul not making a reference to the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment. Otherwise, they're all lining uh, lining up. I'm just going to quickly uh, look at the outline and give you some insight into these specific weird words. And Paul uses very unusual words. And mo- half of them are only used one time in the entire New Testament in this paragraph. Another indication that he's using an outline, right? So, so he says, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It correlates to where he says that this law is not for the just, not for those who who have in their heart the law and the desire to please God and are on the straight and narrow. It's a guard rail for the lawless, he says. For the ungodly, for the sinners and disobedient, he writes. The ungodly, that word means not worshiper. The not worship. The sinner is the person who misses the mark. So you have, on the one hand, the person who's inwardly irreverent and outwardly disobedient. They are inward and outwardly defying the the living God. Then you have, though you shall not make for yourself a carved image. And he's talking about lawlessness and disobedience. So lawless, I said, is not law. It's someone who either follows no law or someone who fights against the law. He has those who are disobedient. That means insubordinate. It's the attitude of the little girl whose dad says, Honey, sit down. Stop standing on your chair. And she, after being belabored, finally sits down. And then she says to her daddy, I'm sitting down, but not in my heart, daddy. That is the, the sense of disobedience or insubordination of those who defy God's laws here. The unholy word means anti-holy, so to speak. The profane, the the, 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 the the using of the name of the Lord God in unholy or profane ways. That is pointless or common or irreverent ways. And then in the second part of the table, the, after the, the Sabbath day, the day of, uh, of devotion to the Lord, of worshiping him in corporate praise and, and resting in him in Christ, he then goes on... Uh, in, in the 5th through the 10th, he lays out, and, and it seems that Paul it deliberately is picking gross terms to get the attention of the people uh, in the church of his time, really quite gross terms, and, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a commentary on our time that about the only one that seems gross to us anymore is enslaver, the rest seem okay, or like, ah, eh, you know, debatable, No, these are these actually were meant to be disgusting. Uh, If you were had a healthy conscience, you would find these revolting. He says, uh, "Honor your father and mother," the fifth commandment. For those who are father strikers, he invents a word there. Mother strikers invents a word there. Uh, It's the word of father or mother added to the verb to hit, to crush, to destroy, to hit, to crush, to destroy. Your father, your mother, their legacy, their their guidance. Uh, He says, murderers, you shall not murder, says the commandments, and that word he makes a word, man killer, the man killer, the ones who would kill other people, uh, and and were to stand for life, if you didn't know that, right? God is, is a defender of life not a taker of life. Verse uh, 10 and 11, not a murderer. 10 and 11, he he says, uh, he talks about using our bodies and the persons or bodies of others uh, in the bedroom, we might say. And and, and what remains unlawful in our day, it seems like less and less it remains unlawful. And these, these guardrails were put up for the good of humanity, for the good of the family and society, and when we unravel, Romans 1 warns us that actually, if you're worried about the wrath of God, I tell you what Romans 1 says, if, if these sorts of realities and practices are, are upon you, God's wrath has already arrived. He's given you over. Verse, uh, the, or number, 18, number eight, the, the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Again, man stealers, kidnappers, maybe yours says, uh, it's someone who takes another person and uses that person for his own uh, affairs, either for profit or pleasure. The ninth one, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. He mentions liars or perjurers. He's talking about people who swear falsely, who deceive with their words and, and are sneaky with what they say. And I suppose at the end, he covers anything else that might not have been covered, including coveting and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine to healthy doctrine, he writes. A.W. Pink said this, and this fits well with where Paul's sermon ends, because he says all these things. And then in verse 11, he writes, uh, Paul writes, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Remember, in the next chapter, he says, I was a blasphemer. I was a man killer. I was opposed to God. I was defiant and insubordinate to the living God. And God grabbed me, not by the ear, but by the blindness of my eyes and opened my eyes to see that Jesus is the Messiah. That he has been sent of the only uh, sacrifice, the credit, the only thing that will make me just. And therefore, I will order my life according to his affairs, his his guidelines, uh, his guidance. And and A.B. Pink mentions this. He talks about this. He says, grace is not lawlessness. Grace only makes us the more indebted to God. Our obligations are increased, not canceled thereby. Grace reigns through righteousness, not at the expense of it. Grace reigns through righteousness, not at the expense of it. I'm going to finish this sermon in a rather unique way, in part because of the Palm Branch Day, and that's a day when kids are supposed to remember, right? You, we do this for kids. and So I'm going to invite uh, someone I love dearly, um, I actually love her more than you because she's married to me. Uh, uh, you know, my wife, and uh, Ally. She's gonna read uh, a bit from a book that that she has been sharing with the kids. A couple people have this. I know it's uh, the Little Pilgrim's Progress. is written by Helen, well, rewritten or paraphrased uh, by Helen Taylor, and there's beautiful pictures by Joe. Sutphin, I guess. Yes, you can buy it on Amazon if you want to know. Uh, Get it for yourself, for your grandkids. Read it as a couple. Very edifying. Uh, The second most uh, prolifically published book in the human history, the first is the Bible. The second is... Pilgrim's Progress by a guy named John Bunyan. It's the second most published book in all of human history. And there's been so many editions, renditions. This one is is, is, is uh, teaching that idea uh, through the lens of, of well, rabbits and, and turtles. And crows and that sort of thing. Those are the characters that is laid out here. It's a wonderfully well done. And so we're talking about these law, these uh, people who aspire to be uh, uh, teachers of the law. And there's a fantastic uh, description of them here, the talk talk talkers in the crow. And so Mr. Talkative is going to take the stage. Where are you at? Oh, come on over here. And this is a picture now is going to be shown up uh, on the page that that uh, is for this chapter. Listen to it as someone who's just listened to 1 Timothy chapter
1: 1. This is Christian and Faithful walking on the way. The boys went on, talking happily together until they came to a part of the plain in which the way of the king was wider than usual. Faithful happened to turn his head, and he saw that another boy was walking on the opposite side of the road. He was a fine-looking young crow, and Faithful thought that he might be a pleasant companion. So he said, are you going to the celestial city? The young crow answered, yes. Then let us walk together, said Faithful. We are all traveling the same way. I shall like that very much, replied the crow. And he fluttered over the road and began to talk with Faithful. He had a great deal to say about the king and his servants and his laws. And little Faithful felt quite pleased to think of having a new friend who was so good and clever. Presently, he waited for Christian, who was walking a little way behind them, and whispered, Is he not a nice boy? I am sure he must be a very good pilgrim. Little Christian smiled. Do you not know who he is? He asked. No, said Faithful, I have not seen him before. Haven't you? Why, he lives in our city. His name is Talkative. He often pretends to be a pilgrim just to amuse himself but I did not know that he ever came as far as this. Is he a bad pilgrim then? I am afraid he does not love the king, said Christian, but you will soon find out. Then Faithful ran on again and walked by the side of Talkative. Perhaps, thought the little pilgrim, he may not be quite so bad as Christian thinks, and we may be able to persuade him to go with us. But the more the crow talked, the less Faithful liked him, and at last he became quite sure that they could never be friends. It was plain that Talkative was vain and foolish, and although he praised the king and said how delightful it was to be his servant, Faithful could see that Talkative had no real wish to enter the celestial city, and that he was only pretending to be a pilgrim for the sake of amusing himself. Faithful listened quietly for some time while his companion talked about the king's goodness. And then he said, "'I suppose you are careful to obey all the king's laws.' Talkative blushed, for he knew he always did just what he liked. Although he was ready to tell his friends what the king had commanded them to do, he felt vexed with little Faithful for asking him such a question and answered crossly, "'I don't see that it matters to you.' "'I think it does matter,' replied Faithful. If you talk so much about loving the king, you ought to serve him very well indeed. How do you know that I don't serve him, returned Talkative? I am not sure, said Faithful, but I'm afraid you don't. I wonder what a little fellow like you has to do with correcting me, cried Talkative in an angry tone. I am much older than you are. I didn't mean to correct you at all, but I was not sure if you were a real pilgrim. A real pilgrim? Of course I am, but I know exactly how it is. Christian told you a lot of stories about me when you ran back to speak to him, and I suppose you believe them all. Faithful did not know what to say, for he could see that Talkative was very angry indeed, so he walked on quietly without speaking. I don't care at all, said Talkative presently. If you choose to believe bad things about me, it's your fault, not mine. But I think you are a rude, disagreeable little groundhog, and I don't wish to talk to you anymore. You can just walk by yourself and leave me to do as I like. He seemed so angry that Faithful made no answer. He let Talkative go on his way alone and waited for Christian, who soon came up to him. Never mind, said Christian, when he heard what had happened. I am glad he has not stayed with us. For I don't think he would have done us any good.
0: Thank you. It's sober to realize how easy it is to get off the path, isn't it? Talk, 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 talk. Thanks for reading that, Allie. Um, It's sort of bizarre. In fact, as I studied this passage, I'll end with this. It's interesting that the very people who aspired to be teachers of the law and to teach the law and proclaim it, the effect of their so-called teaching was to create breaking of the law. There are two ditches. One is one of legalism, of enforcing the law on yourself and others, or at least talking about it. And one is to reject the law, to permit anything that we want to redefine and change the law. Neither one leads to loving the Lord and yielding to his path and to his way. Do you see? And both create and encourage law breaking. There's a chapter in Romans 7 where it says that the law aroused a desire for me to break it. Aroused a desire for me to break it. Be careful. If you love Jesus, that's enough. Following him, you will obey him, and all ten ways and more that matter to him. Father in heaven, we live in, in tortuous times. Around us are many buildings with crosses on them that that advertise a redefinition of your law. Around us are many uh, households who try to, who I guess trust in the laws for the sake of their kids to keep them on the straight and narrow, but all the while, not actually doing business with Jesus. Oh, that we might know you. Oh, that we might live for your glory. Oh, that as we began the service with our our boisterous ways, because we are delighted that you are the King of Kings, may that be evident in each of our lives, in each of our households, because we are people of the King who are citizens who will do whatever you bid. And not like a crow, talk, talk, talking, to avoid doing what we know we already should do. Forgive us our sins are many. And though we have looked at the difficulty of sin and maybe the cross today, we know to get to Easter, we have to go through the cross. And so we do that And I ask that you would forgive us our sins, and to those who are out of the path and doing things wrongly and are stricken in conscience today, may they leave with the good news that Jesus Christ forgives sinners. And may we have the privilege of seeing life come into many households through Christ. Thank you for listening in Christ's name, amen.